This is KMTT. The week begins this uh, winter, Tavshin Ein, with a shiur by Harav Benjamin Tavori, a series, weekly series, on uh, modern responsa of the 20th century, more or less, both the individual and the and the topic. Harav Benjamin Tavori. As we continue the shiurim based on responsa of the 20th century, I'd like to continue with the chief rabbis of Israel as we've discussed the past few weeks. We began with Rav Kook and then spoke about Rav Herzog and then Rav Unterman. And this week, I'd like to speak about the chief rabbi, Rav Shlomo Gorin. It's also a coincidence that it worked out that this week is the yard site of Rav Gorin, so it's doubly appropriate to speak about him this week. Rav Gorin was born in Chutzlaritz in 1917 in Poland. He came on Aliyah when he was a, a young child of about eight years old. He went to learn in Hebron. While he was in Hebron in Yerushalayim, he was quick, quickly recognized as an Ilui, and one of his hobbies was to go to the different Rosh Yeshiva, to the different Shurim in Yerushalayim, and as they speak in, and speak in learning with the Rosh Yeshiva, discuss their shiurim. He became uh, very friendly with many of these gedolim at that time, and they certainly appreciated his lumdus at a very young age. To prove his uh, tremendous breadth of scholarship at a very young age, we can attest to the fact that he wrote a sefer on Kachim, a sefer called Nezer HaKodesh, when apparently he was only 17 years old. Shortly afterwards, he printed another sefer and another rather difficult topic in halacha, also one that's not so widely studied, but he, he wrote a Sefer Shari Taro on, on Masechus Mikvos. Both of these Sefarim today have not been reprinted to the best of my knowledge, and they are rather rare in, in Torah libraries. Afterwards in his life, he, and also posthumously, many of his Sefarim were printed. Some of the Sefarim that were printed were a few volumes on the different uh, Jewish holidays, these are shiurim that he gave in different places and also essays that he wrote in a uh, journal that came out from the Israeli army called Machanaim and also some original material. But his widespread areas of knowledge included uh, medical issues, medicine in general, philosophy, and we have a number of volumes of him, of his today, that are, one was called Torah Tarafua, about medical issues, another Torah Tapilosophia, philosophical issues, besides the Svarim Lamdis that we have already uh, mentioned. We all know that Rav Gorin was a, a fighter in the various uh, armies while the state was established and the establishment of the state of Israel, he was a, a fighter in in the army, at the uh, request of the chief rabbis of Israel, he, at a young age, Rav Gordon was appointed as the chief rabbi of the Israeli army, and as such, he was instrumental in setting up a halachic system within the army. He was known for his bravery and for his daring, both physically and spiritually. Physically, some of the things he did are well known in the army, uh, besides his uh, experience in paratrooping, his experience as a sniper, his experiences in, in volunteering to go uh, in rather difficult, sensitive ish- areas and do things. But in the term world of halacha, he was also very uh, brave and entered areas 
that were very difficult and sometimes got him into quite a bit of controversy over various issues. We have already seen one of the tshuvas that he wrote about the pe- people from Kfar Etzion, whose end we do not know exactly. And Rav Gorin wrote this tshuva at that name, at that time when he would, Rav Gorin first came to Israel, his name was Shlomo Grunchik, and his original Svam were really printed under the name of Grunchik until he Hebraized it to Rav Shlomo Gorin. But in that tshuva that he wrote to Rav Herzog and to other people, he wrote a whole kundris where he permitted the wives of the people who were in Kvar Etzion, he permitted them to remarry, release them from the from the laws of agunot, igun. Um, as we we've, we discussed already the tshuva of Rav Herzog, which added certain points to Rav Gorin's uh, tshuva, but basically agreed with him. Other areas of Igun also included within Rav Gorin's parameters were specifically related to the people, to the wives of the families of the people who uh, were on the boats, in the Dakar, the Elat, which uh, disappeared and their traces were not exactly known. Rav Gorin also dealt with many technical halachic issues. He had to base an face an army situation, a security issue, many technological issues as electricity, modern warfare, were brought up in those areas. Today, we have a Sefer of Rav Goren of Chuvos that was printed posthumously, a Sefer called Trumas HaGoren, printed by that organization that is now today printing a number of, of his Svarim. Uh, they call it Ha'idra Rabbah. The Rav Goren established a yeshiva in the old city called Idra, and this organization is now publishing more and more svarim of of Rav Goren. But we will relate today to different volumes of tshuvas written by Rav Goren, specifically tshuvas that were written for the Israeli army. These tshuvas are called Meshiv Milchama. I'd like to point out a comment. Before we begin discussing these tshuvas per, particularly, a comment that Rav Zevin made in his Sefer, La Torah V'lamuadim. Rav Zevin pointed out that in the Torah, there are always different methods, different interpretations to the Torah. We will discuss specifically Pshat and Remes. Pshat seems to be more of a literal translation, what the words really mean. Remes are the hints to what the Torah is referring to in these particular sentences. Rav, Go- Rav Zevin explained that sometimes, in some generations, what you seem to be is pshat, in another generation can be a remez, and vice versa. In some generations, it only seems a remez, whereas another generation, this is the pshat. And he gave an example. The Torah says, Ki The Torah discusses warfare, and the, the, the Torah then says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will deliver your enemy into your hand. So, what's the pshat? And what's the remez? For many, many years, when the concept of an Israeli army or Jewish army was almost inconceivable, true, there were pogroms and Jewish tragedies throughout the ages, but an effective fighting force of a, a, a war, of this, going to the battlefield, was not... In, has not been a factor in Jewish history for thousands of years. So what was the pshat? 
And you'll see in many, many Sfarim, they discuss Ki Milcha as referring to Pshat, that you go to a war against your Yetzirah. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu can help deliver that enemy. There is a Torah, there's the Yetzirah Hatov, there are factors that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has built in to the system where a person can overcome this enemy of the Yetzirah. But throughout the generations there was always a Remez. Yes, there's a Remez someday, somewhere, maybe we'll talk about literal, more literal interpretation of Milchama, a physical battle against your enemy. Of course, since we've established the State of Israel, since the beginning of the fight for independence, when we talk about an Israeli army, we can now interpret, Rav Zevin explained the Pshat literally, when you go to your enemy, we have Siyata Dushmaya, Kodesh Baruch Hu promised us that we will conquer the enemy. But even today, there is a Remes, and the Remes today is a Remes for for Yetzirah and Yetzirah Tov. What once was Pshat, today became Remes. What was once Remes, today became Pshat. When we discuss the title of the Sefer, of Rav Gorin, Meshiv Milchama. Now, when we talk about the words Meshiv Milchama, what do we really mean? For thousands of years, we used the phrase Milchamta Shel Torah, a battle of Torah. And Chazal quote Apostle Kenya Yamar Besefer Milchamot Hashem Esvayiv Besufa Esvayiv Besufa Al Kenya Yamar Besefer Milchamot Hashem. Sefer Milchamot Hashem in the Gemara in Kedushin explains is referring to Milchamta Shel Torah where people actually battle it out when they learn. This asks, this answers, this rejects, this refutes, this argues, and there's a, a confrontation. It's a battlefield. But the Gemara says that they end always in a state of love for each other. Even though they seem to battle it out, and sometimes the battle can become rather heated, as Vahev Basufa. They love each other. So when they talked about Milchamos Hashem for the for many many years, we talked about Milchamto Shel Torah. When we talk about the Sefer Milchamos, what's the Sefer Milchamos? The Ramban. The Ramban wrote the Sefer Milchamos discussions with the with the Rif, with the Bala, with the Balamar, with the Rivet. Sometimes he argues against the Rishonim, and that that's what he calls Milchamos Hashem. Today, when we look at the Sefer Meshiv Milchama, so in this Sefer we have both aspects. We have simply understood Milchama to mean battle questions, questions about war. But we also see in the Sefer a certain lumdis where the issues are discussed, argued, debated, and sometimes rather heatedly so. Arguments against People people rejected Rav Gorin's conclusions and it became Milchamta Shotorah. But it's also Pshuto Kemashmo, Sefer Meshiv Milchama. There are three volumes, at least, in Meshiv Milchama. There are other volumes that relate to the to similar issues, but the, I would like to discuss today the first volume. The first volume has in it a number of sections. For example, there's a section on Musar Milchama, the ethics of war. This is not a classic shoot that we have encountered in the past, and it's rather a, more of a, an essay 
which whose which purpose the purpose of this essay is to set up the morality of the Jewish army to understand who we are, what we're fighting for, and how we should act in war. And as such, it's an important proponent, an important component of the Jewish army. A second section that's rather long, more difficult in terms of lumdis, is fighting on Shabbos and specific halachic issues related to Shabbos. Rav Gorin wrote an essay about the history of fighting on Shabbos, going through historical sources, Lamdisha sources, to discuss past history of Milchama on Shabbos. But the issues of Shabbos specifically are going to be referred to also in this section. A third section, which shows a tremendous amount of knowledge, both in Lamdis and in technology, the section on electricity, communication. In that section, of course, Rav Gorin has to show and study the areas of electricity, understand many concepts in physics, some in, perhaps in chemistry, to understand exactly what the halachic issues that are involved, and of course, then to adapt those issues within the halachic framework and come to a psak for the Israeli army. I'd like to show some of the examples from these sections today. In the issue of the Musar of Milchama, first of all, Rav Gorin goes to, tries to explain that even in previous wars in Jewish history, we know that HaKadosh Baruch himself was not happy when the enemy fell we are perhaps more familiar with the phrase that when the Malachim wanted to sing Shira, the angels wanted to sing paeans of praise to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When the Egyptians were drowning and B'nai Israel were saved, so the phrase that's found in the Medrash, Ma'asei Yadai Tovim Bayam V'atem Omim Shira Lefanai. How could it be that the creation of my hand, human beings, which are all created in the image of God, and by Tzalem Elohim, are drowning. How can you say Shira? And Rav Gorin quotes a number of sources to show that HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself is sorry about people dying in wartime. Now it's true that when we do go to war, we have to wage war with all the casualties involved. But Rav Gorin emphasizes that you cannot be happy about it. He quotes the, the famous pasuk that we say in davening, "V'rechamav alkomasav, Hakadosh Baruch Hu's mercy applies to all His creation." And therefore, Rav Gorin emphasizes the morality of the Jewish people in wartime is one of yes. We must go to war, we must take it seriously, we must not be afraid, but nevertheless, we shouldn't be overly happy. We should certainly be happy over our success, but not over the fact that other people died. And then Rav Garn relates this to the issue of fighting in areas where there are people who are not involved in the, in the warfare, people who are not soldiers, specifically women and children. Rav Gorin 
of course, states clearly and unequivocally that one may not hurt people who are not involved in specific fighting. This, of course, is a basic understanding Rav Goren instilled within the Jewish nation. This is part of what we call Musar HaMilchama of Tzal, the ethics of fighting. But Rav Goren pointed out that one could debate this point because we have a statement that in time of war, then perhaps anybody could be anybody belonging to the enemy should be killed. And he quotes sources to this effect, and here Rav Gorin shows not only his feeling of lamdis, but his feeling of mechkar. He quotes Tosfus and Avodah which quotes has a Masecha Sofrim, he shows their variant text in this, in this Masecha Sofrim. But the basic source is from a Pasuk in Chumash, and Rashi quotes part of this halacha. The, when the Mitzrim, when the Egyptians were chasing the Jewish people, it says that Paro assembled an entourage and they chased Bnei Israel. There were animals that were leading, the, that were on the chase. Now, we know that all the animals of the Egyptians were destroyed in the plagues. We also know that the Jewish people took their animals with them. So, how could Paro at all have any caravans, any animals to go to go chase the Jewish people? So the answer given is Hayare as the Var Hashem. the people who were God fearing of the Egyptians had their animals protected. Those that took Moshe's words seriously, and they were God fearing. Now they were the from Egyptians as it were. So the danger to Bene Israel came about through the from Egyptians. So from here it was derived, we should have killed everybody in time of war. Rav Gorin does not go into many sources about this particular issue, but in a clear psak, Rav Gorin says, this is only referring to people who could be a danger to the Jewish people. Anyone who is possibly a danger is one issue. But the issue of not touching civilians in the time of war means people who are innocent. And then, of course, we have a major decision which we fight, which we argue with until today. What is considered innocent? But the psak of not touching innocent civilians was given by Rav Gorin in this Sefer Meshiv Muhammad. Actually, when one studies the sources that Rav Gorin quotes, we see the power, the koach of Rav Gorin in Psak, because the halacha is not that clear on this issue. If we'll take a look, for example, in Shulchan Aruch Yaradeya Simen Kufnun Ches, where a 
words of the Rambam are quoted. People of nations, here the example is the seven nations. There's no, there's no war between us. So in that case, so you're not allowed to kill them. You're not allowed to even cause the, their death. But one could interpret those words that Bishas Milchama, anybody could be killed. Opposed to the opinion of Rav Gorin. The, for example, the Shach says there, Aval Bishas Milchama, how you are giving etc. Now, to go into a long halachic discussion to discuss this issue is beyond our capability right now. But you do see from here how Rav Goin entered as the battle fray of Musaim al-Chama, as it were, and made a very clear statement which should be the guide of the morality of the Israeli army. Some of the questions that came up on Shabbos are rather interesting in terms of their practical application. One of them was the there was a group called Haga. Haga stands for Hagana Ezrachit, a civilian corps to protect the cities, to free the army from certain responsibilities in cities, and allow the civilians to protect themselves, as it were. Many years ago, I was involved in Haga when I lived in Pades Chanai. I was actually a volunteer for Haga. I'm not really sure if it was all volunteer or there's somewhat uh, some sort of a system of uh, requiring people to be in Haga. But I was in Haga for a few years when I lived in Pades Chanai. Now, on Shabbos in Israel, you, Haga was, was in effect like they were the entire week. But sometimes Haga was sent to protect certain events that did not seem appropriate for Shabbos. For example, there were football games in Israel on Shabbos. The crowds are rather large, and they can be somewhat un- unruly. And you can, o- you're also afraid. Unfortunately, in Israel, we're always afraid of a terrorist attack, of some sort of a group trying to disrupt the, the order and simply kill people. So Haga was required to protect even buses, even uh, sporting events. And the question was asked: Should we, as religious people, protect, serve in Haga when people are Mechal Shabbos. In fact, sometimes the people of Haga were told to be Mechal Shabbos in order to save people or to protect people, to provide security for people who were themselves Mechal Shabbos. Rav Goren here deals with two issues. And this is something that's typical of the entire Sefer, and of course typical of a whole understanding of the Israeli position vis-à-vis halacha and Musar. Avgaran said, once the event happens, 
no matter what happened, why or how it happened, there is an obligation to provide security and it's certainly mutter, certainly permitted to provide security for such an event. However, it should be completely discouraged from a moral point of view. From a technically halachic point of view, Rav Goren said, I could be matir. I could permit this. And of course, he provides sources for such a psak. But in terms of morality, he questions, can you really tell people to be Michal Shabbos? Because other people want entertainment, want sport on Shabbos? And therefore, he strongly recommended that the leaders of Haga will tell the people involved that they can't provide security. They must abolish these sporting events on Shabbos because adequate security cannot be maintained. Of course, the issues and the political issues in Israel are not our issue today, what is actually done. Nevertheless, we see the attitude of Rav Gorin in terms of actual psak halacha, and in terms of what we call before the Musar Milchama, the concept of ethics, it would not be right. We should do everything we can to avoid such a situation. One of the questions, which is an interesting halachic question, was whether one can extinguish fire on Shabbos in an army base. Now, in general, when we study the tshuvas that are printed Meshiv Milchama, we should be careful to understand that these tshuvas relate specifically to security issues, to issues of the Israeli army. It would be very wrong to extrapolate from these tshuvas the, the, what Rav Gorin's opinion would be on civilian matters. For example, Rav Gorin permitted use of a microphone on Israeli uh, warships. And in order to do so, he had to explain how the microphone works, the different types of microphone that are used, explain the halachic issues involved, and quite a uh, amount of literature was written on the topic of what exactly are the halachic issues of microphones. But then, you see in that other volume that I mentioned, in the uh, Trumas HaGoren, people wrote to Rav Gorin from such places as Buenos Aires and said they heard that Rav Gorin permitted use of a microphone on Shabbos. So could they have one in their shul? And Rav Gorin there said clearly and unequivocally, my psak was related to the Israeli army. In those term, in those situations of bitachon, of national security, I permitted certain things, but certainly do not think that this would apply to civilian life. Here is a case in point. A fire breaks out in a military camp. Is one allowed to extinguish the fire on Shabbos? In order to discuss the question, one has to understand what are the halachic principles, what are the issues involved in putting out a fire. On one hand, extinguishing a fire should not be considered a major halachic problem because it seems to be a malacha shein A malacha shein means a malacha that's done on Shabbos, but I don't need the outcome. The Generally on Shabbos, Melechas Machshavas means I want the outcome of the, this particular Melacha. But Melechas Machshavas means I don't want the outcome. A classic example would be the Mishnah, if a person would carry out a dead body, someone died in a house, 
or there was a dead body in the house. And the people in the house simply do not want that body in the house. So they remove the body, carrying on Shabbos, to the Rishus Harabim. But this is a Melacha Shein Sichel Gufa. They don't want the body outside, they just don't want the body inside. That's considered a Melacha Shein Sichel Gufa, which is a Machlokas in Allah, in, in the Gemara. But we paskin, at least most Rishon and Paskin, that Melacha Shein Sichel Gufa is an Isad Rabbanan. It's not Asimid Araisa, it's only Asimid Rabbanan. Inasmuch as it's only Asimid Rabbanan, so it would seem that in order to protect against a huge monetary loss, my own, my whole house is going up in fire, we should be able to dis- extinguish fire on Shabbos. However, the halacha seems to be fairly clear that if there's pikuach nefesh involved, one may extinguish a fire on Shabbos. But if there's no question of pikuach nefesh, it seems fairly clear from the sources that one cannot extinguish a fire. In fact, the Ran asks the question, and Rav Goren, of course, quotes it, why can't you extinguish a fire to save your entire uh, your entire house and its possessions, etc.? And the Ran gives an opinion that not all people are that familiar with the nuance of the difference nuances of the difference between melacha she'ena and a melacha that is tzarech legufa. And if we'll permit the Putting out a fire, people will not distinguish between Amlacha Shen Sikhl Gufa and they'll permit other things as well. Therefore, it's sort of a gezeira that you should not do it unless there is Pikrach Nefesh involved. Rav Gorin did find a source, a Mordechai in Beitza, who said that you are allowed to extinguish a fire even for monetary purposes. The fact that the sources say you're not allowed was inter- interpreted by this mo- opinion quoted in the Mordechai, that that's only according to the opinion that Melacha Shein Legufa is Chayev. Since we pass in Melacha Shein Legufa is only Asad Medrabanan, the Mordechai does bring an opinion that you're, that you're allowed. Nevertheless, today, if you look in Shulchan Aruch, in the, in the, in the, in the Mepharshim, the general Psak is based on the Beis Yosef, that you are allowed to put out fire on Shabbos in cities, because we're always afraid that the fire could spread, could reach a place where there is, or people, there are people sleeping or babies which are difficult to evacuate. Therefore, there's always a far-fetched chashash of pikrach nefesh, but even a far-fetched chashash of pikrach nefesh would be sufficient to allow us to put out the fire. Of course, this psak would apply to a, an army base as well. But Rav Gordon raises the question, whether an army base, where in a case where we know there is no pikrach nefesh involved, but nevertheless the entire base would be destroyed. There might be some sensitive papers, some important papers for national security, which might be in that base. And in general, it's an army base. And here Rav Gorin gives a general principle, which is one of the guiding lights of his sack, and became one of the guiding lights of the Israeli army at that time the defense and security of the Israeli army, of an army camp, is akin to Pikrach Nefesh. Even though nobody, nobody's life specifically will be lost in that particular fire, nevertheless, Rav Goren Paskind, the Machane itself, with the Mitkanim, all the buildings, all the camp, is considered 
as a tzorich bitchoni, national security, and therefore he permitted putting out the fire under those circumstances. As I said before, this was a psaq given for the Israeli army, and we cannot extrapolate to civilian life. In general, we pass them like the Bes Yosef, that in cities you can put out a fire because there is a far-fetched possibility of pikuach nefesh. These are some of the examples of psakim, of decisions that had to be rendered by Rav Gorin in setting up an Israeli system of halacha within the Israeli army.